You're listening to the Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend Lucas Spinoza coming at you from my office inside of the Black Sheep Lounge right here in downtown Welland, Ontario. You are listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people, and we're here to show you how you can use your passions to live your life passion forward. Today, joined by an incredibly special guest, Mr. Mark Carl. This guy does a zillion things and has done a zillion things, um, one of which being the executive director of the Hope Center. Uh, He was a two-term city councillor for Welland City Council uh, and currently the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Niagara. I didn't even stumble. So excited. Mark Carl, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's great to hear. I... uh, I was saying to Mark before we started this thing that I always screw up the intro in some way. And I think I like unjinxed myself by saying that because I didn't stumble on any anything. So that was great. Stoked. So we we were having a conversation before we started this, and I didn't want to not have it on uh, on file here. So we didn't ask you, and I'm going to ask you now because Mark went from, a, as a city councillor who was also the executive director of the Hope Center, to now as the CEO of Habitat for Humanity. So I uh, he was mentioning that um, he had to sit in on Niagara Falls City Council. And so my question was going to be, do you find it different watching another council as someone who served on a council? Or do, you, do you see it from a different perspective now? I, I'd see... I think an understanding I have. Yeah. I have an understanding of what the counselors are feeling or the pressure that they have. I have an understanding of uh, uh, the process that they might be going through. And I think, mm. you know, I've very open to, I, I look at council as like the community and I've always looked at it. So whether it's Niagara Falls, Welland, St. Catharines, you know, that is the community that they represent. You know, I always, when I sat on city council, I always, maybe someone didn't agree, I didn't agree with someone's statement on the other side of council, but I often think of it as like a family barbecue. I could see my <laughs> uncle. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. <laughs> that, that, that person's representing my uncle that I would be making that thought or my yeah. aunt, you know, or a cousin that would be, have those same thoughts or asking me the same questions. So. For sure. I know before I ran, that was something I did. It was almost like my homework. I would watch other councils to see if this is normal uh, for all councils or if it's more of a Welland thing. Um, and it's true that each community has kind of its own flavor. Uh, but having a general understanding now as sitting as a counselor and obviously you as someone who had s- sat for two terms, you you see it and I think you just understand it better or at least understand uh, the thought process a little bit more. So it's not, they're, they're not just shooting crap out of their mouth all the time. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, it does come from a place where they're thinking, okay, we have other things on the go too. Does this mesh up or not? So <laughs> I'll give you a great example of that. Um, Part of where you ask, how do I feel? I'm now being with Habitat for Humanity, where what we're working on is a 16-unit townhouse development. Mm-hmm. It started out as an 18-unit townhouse development. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to get zoned and passed. So right now I'm sitting as a developer. So before I sat as a counselor. And yeah. the difference now is as a developer, you're looking at, okay, we're really trying to get this project going. We're trying to put as much as many families on the land as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're trying to... Um, we're, we're, we're trying to make as much density so it's as affordable as possible. For sure, yeah. You know, council had some really good, the neighbors had some good questions about it. Council had some good points. They deferred us, made us go back. I'm like, oh, that's going to cost, you know, some money. But at the end of the day, working all together, yeah. we came up with a 16-unit complex. And what it was missing before was really proper parking. And uh, so we went down two units, which was difficult. But we came up with a better complex. And, and that was through working with council. At first, council mm-hmm. 
had some a lot of questions and the residents had a lot of questions, but we were able to come up with that better now as a developer. Mm. So, you know, you, but you have to take a step back and say, okay, this might be my pet project, but the community has a greater good. Yes. Council is looking out for the greater good of the community. It's an interesting perspective. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. There, so okay. now do you find it gives you a bit of an advantage or do you think it's a, because I, I don't think it's, it, it can't not play a part in what you do when you're going to other councils. Do you think it's more of on the advantage side or the disadvantage side that you've served? Advantage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said earlier, understanding the, you know, council is individuals that serve on our council. They're there for the greater good of the community. Of course. Yeah. And it isn't for me, it's about, they're just, the individuals are trying to represent their residents. Mm. That's what they're doing. Now, they want, and they're also trying to represent, you know, affordable home, affordable housing. They want to they see affordable housing in their communities, but they want to see it in a way that it, it makes sense, that it's great. Now, what I see is having it, we've got to understand and have that agreement. You know, the, the councillors aren't just against the developer. The councillors mm-hmm. are trying to make the best development possible for that neighbourhood. For sure. So, yeah. so having that advantage, I, I don't take it personally. That's the key, right? You know, you don't you don't take this personally. You want to work with all the communities, and you want to say, "Hey, how do we work together so you, so the community has a win, mm-hmm. people trying to build affordable housing have a win, and the greater good of the residents of whatever community it is, well, in Niagara Falls and Catharines, Port Colborne, they win as well." So you got to look for that, right? That's great. Yeah. Well, so that's one of the things I don't want to get too far into it mm-hmm. affordable housing yet because I have a few questions that I just thought of now, but I think it, it might be best to backtrack a little. So I've known you for a few years and I think yeah. probably four or five years now. Yep. Um, but, and I knew what you did obviously through talking to you and then talking to people who are friends of yours, but I don't know what you did prior. How did, how did you get to the hope center in the first place and want to run for council? Ah, it's a great question. I, I guess two parts of that. I always enjoyed being part of the community, and I, mm. I, I really thought we lived in a, in a special place. I really thought Welland, uh, Welland was a special place that uh, really just uh, you know needed to be positive. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we had a lot of difficult times we went through, and everyone talks about that with the closing of the industry and stuff. But we we're right on the cusp of reinventing ourselves. And and when I got involved, I wanted to volunteer. I, I got involved with the Canal Corporation at the mm-hmm. time. So I had applied and this goes back to the old city hall back when it was on East Main Street. Mm-hmm. And they brought me in for an interview and I said, I just see this gem, just like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. You know, the old question of the boats didn't come through like 46 years ago, but we really didn't do much with it mm-hmm. for many, many years because there was a lot of infighting. But let's just do something with it. Let's just focus on that. Let's just put that developing our canal and our waterfront as a a strategic priority, a great thing, because people are going to choose which communities they live in, but they're going to live there because there's things to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to commend you for for Black Sheep. You know, Black Thanks. Sheep is a gathering place for people. Black Sheep is a place that people can come to. People can gather. They can they can talk. They can meet mm-hmm. their friends. The canal is very similar. Absolutely. You know, it's it's a place. It's got to really highlight like it's a place that people can gather, be part of go kayaking, go canoeing, be on the water, be on the trails, ride their bikes with their families. You know, yeah, it's, it's a absolutely. gathering place. And that's what people want to live here. People want to live in communities that they have things to do. So, you know, we I really got involved on that just to uh, to focus on um, on helping our community kind of grow and 
and prosper. I wish I had one of those buttons where an applause happens. So <laughs> it's okay. no, no, it's, it's all good. That was great. They are like the poster child for this city, man. I, that's great. That's Got to put that on paper. <laughs> there you go. No problem. It's just very passionate. Yeah, it. absolutely. Very and, passionate. And it shows. It's great. Mm-hmm. We yeah. need we need as many people like yourself in the community that care that much about yeah. it. So yeah, and. And I think, so I got involved with, uh, that, that was kind of how I got involved in pol- politics and I, and I was on the Canal Corporation and it was, uh, you know, it, it had its ups and downs, but I think a lot of positive came out of it. And uh, the opportunity, I said, well, I think I'd really like to take this to the next level. And if the community wanted me to, mm-hmm. um, I would take it to the next level. And I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to be elected to city council. For and sure. It was just a, an amazing learning experience as well, how did you get into uh, the Hope Center? And um, maybe for those who haven't heard of it or for aren't from Welland, what does the Hope Center do? And then what was your role? Um, or sorry, not was your role. How did you get uh, to the Hope Center in the first place? Yeah, so the Hope Center is a, uh, you know, it, it grassroots uh, organization that basically runs a uh, community like food bank, soup kitchen, uh, it has a social service hub that has six agencies in it. Uh, it does homelessness, does transitional housing, mm-hmm. supports people who are really struggling with poverty and homelessness. Um, it, I'm very proud. I, I love the organization. It was great. How I got involved in it, it was on East Main Street. I had been elected into being a city councillor, uh, mm-hmm. and, and the mayor at the time came to me and said, you know, they're, they're looking for someone from city council to kind of help them out. Would you mind attending their board meetings? So interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I started, um, and, and a few residents like, you know, Paul Turner was involved and mm-hmm. had asked me, Hey, you know, you kind of, I was working as an employment counselor at the time, come on onto the, you know, come to the board and start to help us out a little bit where, you know, where there was some good things, some issues that were happening. So, but they really wanted to connect with the community through city council. So I went as a city councilor and kind of, it wasn't a city council's role, but I started to be on the board and started to help them out. Um, and then shortly after that, about a year later, the executive director position became, and, uh, I remember talking it over with my wife and family and, uh, mm-hmm. they said, well, go for it, Mark, go for it. You'd really do well at that. You'd really want a vision on that. So I applied and, uh, went through the interview process and, uh, and I was fortunate enough and there was some really strict competition. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, and, and I was fortunate enough to take that role on as the executive director. So, and I really loved it because it really was giving an opportunity for individuals. In and you community. were there for quite a while as well. Yeah, eight years. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the... So you're both terms. Yeah, both terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just after, yeah, just eight years, really. Seven terms, seven years, I think it was coming up on eight years. So it was, uh, yeah, it was really exciting. So uh, I loved it because, you know, I don't believe that everybody is always born with the same opportunities in life, yeah. you know. Uh, we, we, you know, some people are born if you, if, there's, if you have mental health or if your your family support isn't there, if your family can't afford education, if your family can't afford to, to help you, you know, you're not always born with the same opportunities. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's health. What I found really was health was the main concern that people struggled in our community. You know, mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be homeless. No. It's usually, you know, it's past trauma that's happened. It's mental health. It's addictions. And uh, I just found helping those individuals in our community was just uh, not, not really, re- it was a bigger reward for me then it was, I was blessed to do it more sure. than I, you know, than I really, I, I think they were grateful, but I was more grateful for the opportunity. And that's yeah. amazing. I think too, um, a lot of people who are for lack of a better term down on their luck, mm-hmm. they just need a little bit of help because most 
opportunities are created. They're not, they're not just there. Those are the lucky instances. Like I've experienced that a few times in my life where there've been lucky uh, opportunities kind of just there and I stumbled upon them. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, people have to create those opportunities. So for someone like yourself and the organizations that you work with, these are people who for the most part are willing to change. They want the help. They need the help. Right. And so by you just giving them a hand to hold as opposed to, you know, something to stand on. They're able to, to work with you and they can build and grow and help themselves with the help of other people. And then eventually they're creating their own future. And I think that's what I like so much about now what you're doing with Habitat is these are a lot of people who are, are working and still can't uh, get enough out of it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. this is probably a good segue now for uh, what I wanted to ask you about affordable housing, but just a little side note too, for those listening, um, the last name coincidences you see when you're scrolling through the podcast, there are two Carls, and yes, they are husband and wife, both incredibly talented people. So it's the first time we've done this, have two people in the same family on the podcast. So it's really cool to uh, to highlight two really interesting and important people in our community. So I appreciate you being here again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so the question about affordability. So this is not uh, something that's unique to Niagara. It's not something unique to even Ontario across Canada. Uh, there's an affordability crisis going on. Do you find that, I have my own opinions about it, but do you find that now that you're in this world specifically when it deals with affordable housing, you have, we have so many people moving to Niagara it's seemingly there's more people that can't afford to live in houses we would have been able to 10 years ago. What do you think, aside from the market, do you think there's any other causes for for making it so unaffordable to live in the area? Yeah, uh, it's 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 a couple things. It's it's exactly like you said. People moving to the area, people loving this area for mm-hmm. the same reasons that you know you and I and I know you serve on council is mm-hmm. because you love the community, and you want to make it a better place. People are moving here out of Toronto for those reasons, which is great. You know that, but it's becoming very. Uh, very unsustainable for a lot of local, especially young Niagara residents to buy a house at 500,000, 600,000. It's just becoming not affordable. That's Mm -hmm. a couple of things that are are happening that we have to, I think, address as a community. Um, First level of government, uh, government has to recognize that people need affordable housing Mm -hmm. to live, which they do. But a lot of development charges are becoming very expensive. Yeah, we've been hearing that. Yeah. Developers are, you know, you're even, even for Habitat, if the communities don't waive the development fees, we could be looking at 14, 16, $20,000, a single house before it even gets started. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few development costs that are involved in that. So even on subdivisions and things like that. So I think the communities have to recognize in this, in the, the cities have to recognize that we're all in this together in a mm-hmm. sense, you know, although if we charge, a lot on development charges, it's great revenue coming in, but for the communities, but at the same time, it's making the housing prices more expensive, you know, and it's, uh, and I understand it as a city councilor and I'll, you know, it's okay with these developers, it takes a lot of money. You have to put the parks in, you have to do all that stuff. I, I get it, but mm-hmm. it's also creating a, an inflex on the prices of housing. Um, creative housing. I'm going to say a city of Welland's done a great job in the zoning bylaw to make it so that, you know, you can put an additional uh, unit on your property. So you, those are called, I guess, accessory housing, right? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Accessory housing. We're going to have to get used to that in Niagara where, you know, where, you know, all of a sudden now you might have an apartment in the backyard, but yeah. that's now creating an affordable spot for in-laws to live, for grandparents to live and might help pay for that expensive house. We, we have to be creative like that. Um, we have to look at 
properties for the community, and I mean this, it sounds like I'm talking to you as a city councilor, yeah. <laughs> uh, just, you know, you have to look at properties that are, that are becoming derelict or are behind on taxes. Yeah. And you really have to, you know, go after those properties and open it up to developers yeah. to build condos, to build stack condos or, you know, unique buildings that can house people at an affordable where they can buy a yeah. place now for two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. This right? is something that I've become very passionate about. Is uh, actually have been for a while, and mostly because of my dad. My dad's been here, uh, at, opened a business here eighteen years ago, uh, and that's when Welland was really in a tough position. It's only recently, in the past. I would like to say five to eight years really started to have a noticeable uh, surface difference anyway um, in, the, in a positive direction. And now with these these derelict buildings that you're talking about, it is nearly impossible from a council perspective to give bylaws enough teeth or planning and building enough teeth to actually get these people uh, to clean up their properties. It's becoming very difficult. But I want to throw something at you because back to the affordable housing thing, I this is a personal opinion. I want to see what you think about it is... I feel that one of the biggest challenges we face in the area is also people's expectation of what uh, their future looks like. I think a lot of people in my generation who are getting closer to the point where they're going to start buying their first homes, um, maybe they're moving in with their spouse, whatever they're doing, we think of it as you need to have that one acre yard and you have to have the, you know, the white picket fence and two cars and a, a backyard pool and all these things. And those are great. And it's awesome if you want to aspire for that. But I think a lot of us are almost tricked into thinking we need to have that uh, as opposed to going vertical. Because I think vertical building is something that people are very afraid of in this area for some strange reason. And that's the main reason why it's, in my opinion, it's becoming so unaffordable is you've got all these people who are saying, well, I, I want to have, you know, this house and everything, but I can't pay 600000 It's like, well, you can very easily lease, rent, or own uh, a condo or an apartment that's going to be a lot less expensive, uh, and it's still yours. Because think about how many people my age, even, who were kids only less 10 or 12 years ago, how many times did you spend summer days in your backyard? You don't. You don't. Yeah. Our generation, we're st- I'm not saying it's a good thing, <laughs> but like, think about how much you want to pay to have a backyard or a front yard you don't use. Mm-hmm. I think you need to evaluate what your values are and say, hey, am I the kind of person who, who desperately wants that lifestyle? If you do, great, good on you. You have to find a job that's going to be able to pay you to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But someone like me who wants to hang out and drink coffee and talk to people all day, I'm not going to be able to have a million-dollar house on waterfront. That's right. Yeah, so. yeah you're exactly right. Um, it's really difficult to grow up in a, you know, a house with a pool and a backyard and a two story. Mm. And then to say, Oh, okay. You know, we always have this thing that, you know, we're going to do better than our parents. Yeah. And so, but reality is I think we have to in Niagara shift our thinking into mid rise condos, you know, with a balcony and uh, a kind of common area in the background. We we really have to kind of force that type of development to happen because Mm -hmm. that's where the new $300,000, $200,000, for, you know, homes are going to be. You're right. It doesn't make any sense to have a million dollar house, you know, because it has a pool in the background unless you really have the type of money to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right. What we have to be very cognizant of in Niagara is we got to keep our youth here. So when we come to developments, and and I got to tell you, as Habitat for Humanity, we have a, you know, we always were picking up lots and getting donated lots. Well, in between two houses, and we'd build a single family house. 
we now have to shift and that's where the townhouse development comes in that's where we have to shift to that higher density still a beautiful place for families to raise but you know they're going to be in a townhouse or they're going to be in a condo development because land is so expensive and and we have to embrace that we have to celebrate it we have to tell our youth that it's okay you know we have to put our development uh you know we we kind of have cips uh mm-hmm. community improvement um why aren't we as communities looking at community in- incentives for condo developments why are Absolutely. we not downtown condo developments for youth to live in why are we not encouraging the developers to do that so that you now have a downtown cip tax incentive to build a mm-hmm. affordable downtown condo development those are the types of things to keep our youth here for sure i, I think there's uh Another part of this, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier about people being scared of high rises. I don't know if this is just we're getting more paranoid as a society because every and I'm sure you heard it a zillion times on council, but I hear it all the time. People try to make up what I call lame excuses for why they don't want development. It's never the real reason they don't want it. I, I would respect if people came to me and said, Lucas, I don't want it because I don't want it. That's the only, like, that's it. I would respect that more than someone saying, oh, well, what about the native fauna? It's like, you don't, you don't care about the native fauna. You cut down trees for your house 30 years ago. And now here you are complaining about somebody else doing the same thing. It's hypocritical and it's silly. And also people are incredibly paranoid. They think that people in their apartments are going to spend all of their money on telescopes looking into their backyard saying like, what's Mr. Smith doing next door? It's crazy to me. I I don't know what, what that's all about. And I think uh, we need to shift in mentality. Otherwise the unaffordability crisis is going to really overwhelm people. Cause I think we need to prepare ourselves and start conditioning the next generations of home buyers to be ready for what they're going to be getting. Cause I know for, for myself and Katie, we we're at the point now where we're talking about it. We're thinking about saving. She just got hired as a nurse. I'm self-employed with a business that's doing pretty well, but I also have other incomes, right? Uh, from different places. And we still are struggling to think, how are we going to make this happen? And that's with someone who's in healthcare yep. and then someone else who has two or three different income streams. Absolutely. So I think everyone needs to shift um, their mindset in order to be actually comfortable. Because mm-hmm. if you want to work your whole life for that home, that is totally okay. It's got to be what you want. But don't don't force yourself into something you don't want. I know like my dad was very smart and he saw it coming. He knew what was going to happen with Welland. So he picked up three buildings, you know, for nothing, for peanuts. Like I'm talking collectively all three buildings for less than $200,000, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and that was... 2002 to 2006 in that window we started doing that and uh the the plan is to build apartments on all of those right Mm -hmm. so this way yes you've got your commercial use which is guaranteed income but then if you choose to live there it's your basically your rental is paying for you to live or if you decided to rent rent it out now you have two streams of income Mm -hmm. right so i i think people need to be exactly as you said just more creative um with their thinking but uh, i don't want to get too far off track here one of the things that this podcast is aiming to do is every guest that comes on does what they love for a living, or at least what they do for a living, they love doing, they enjoy it. Uh, and you know, my goal is to try and show people that doesn't matter what you're interested in, you know, there's a way to make money doing it. And now that we're in that money conversation, um, I, I wanted to, to maybe show with yours as an example, I, because you're here, that you started from... Um, what did you say you did before uh, the Hope Center? You were doing uh, I was, career counseling. Yeah, career counseling. Right? Yep. So and before career, that, I did, I did marketing at the Seaway Mall. 
before that even. Yeah. So interesting. I at, yeah. I worked at the Seaway Mall. As so a, it's uh, cool to think that, you know, if you're working hard and you're passionate and you're, you're giving it your all, people notice that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so opportunities start opening up and then <clears throat> For instance, now you're on council because you care about the community. This isn't something that pays very much on council, but you know, something opens up at the Hope Center, you're there. You know, you were there for seven years, did an amazing job, helped to open up this beautiful state-of-the-art facility that's, you know, helping even more people in our community. People notice that habitat opens up, here you are, right? So it's I'm sure if you were to look backwards and see the progression, you you probably don't see it coming when you were doing it. But to look backwards and think yeah, you got to take those opportunities, you know, and, and I found myself in the same boat with the cafe, uh, starting doing community work and then started doing board work and then council came up and that was the opportunity. And so many other things came out of that, like this podcast. So I just wanted to highlight that, um, only because, uh, I want people to see the correlation and why we're having these conversations, right. And why it's important because even in this economical climate that we're in, it's still possible to do what you love for a living, but it's not necessarily going to just land in your lap. It sometimes does, but it's unlikely. You really do have to put yourself out there and work for it. Yeah. I, I, I really like seeing people do well and like seeing people improve their life and do well with their life. But I had a mentor who taught me many years ago that, you know, your, your ability to be successful is by the circle of people you can call when, when you need something or, you, you know, you, not necessarily when you need something, but that circle of people will also ask for things from you that Absolutely. you're able to help them with. So the bigger your circle, your network is, the more likely that you are to be able to uh, pick up the phone, send an email, connect with somebody. Hey, do you have, have you seen this happen before? So, you but know, a my, genuine circle, not, <laughs> not just someone you met and added them on LinkedIn. That doesn't <laughs> that's, count. That's, that's right. I met the CEO of Amazon. He's my friend. Yeah, no, he's no, not. No, it's a genuine circle. So I, I'll give you a, an example with Habitat. Uh, sitting on city council, you know, really we had this vision. We had this piece of land that, you know, and I said, well, how are we going to develop this? And sitting on council, you know, Upper Canada consultants always came and made presentations for developers. So yeah. I called them up and said, I've got this piece of land. They're like, yeah, we'd love to help you with that. Right. And uh, yeah. we'd love to be part of that. And, you know, and, and that's starting with the whole development of it. So it's that circle, that network um, of, of individuals that, you know, or you can call on, uh, you know, your your cafe gives that great experience of all kinds of people coming in here. For sure. Yeah. And it builds that circle. So anyone who I think if you're passionate, it doesn't matter if you're passionate about art, if you're passionate about, um, you know, uh, social services, or if you're passionate about being a teacher, whatever it be, what you got to do is you got to volunteer give up your time, help people in that industry and community. And then you become an, you become knowledgeable about that community and then it helps you grow from there. So, you know, it's old famous. If you make a mistake, you, as long as you grow from it, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, when you're growing that network and that community, that's what makes you successful or lets you contribute to mm -hmm. whatever your passion and love is. And that, like I said, that could be in the theater, but if you know people in the theater industry, you know, what's going on, you help them, they'll help you as well. And I've always believed in that and uh, really comes down to as long as you really want to help people and you're not just self-interested, when you're helping people, uh, they'll help you. And, Absolutely. And you learn from it. Preach, brother. I love this. You've got, you had a couple of good rambles going on here. They're, I love it. Uh, now, it's 100% it's true. I never was 
a volunteer guy ever. And it's not because I was a heartless human being. It just, it wasn't something that was in, like interesting to me at the time. You know, I, when I was in high school, I was into music. And so I was playing shows and I did some traveling after high school, which was fun. Uh, but once I came back from that and I was done with that and I had aspirations to open this cafe, um, you start noticing things you wouldn't have noticed before. So, you know, again, right next door to where we are right now is the bakery that I grew up in for 18 right. years. I was seven years old when I moved to Welland with my dad half, uh, half the time and half the time with my mom in the falls. And I went to school in the falls my whole life and I never considered myself a Wellander. I didn't want to be a Wellander uh, for obvious reasons at the time and right. which we're trying to change that oh, stigma, you, right? You guys are doing a great job. And, and your council of the day, both councils have done huge work as along with other volunteer groups and whatever. But anyway, the, the point of the story is for me, once I decided I was going to do this in Welland, I started looking at Welland from a different perspective and it, I was no longer, um, it wasn't just the place I went when I had to see my dad at the bakery. It was now this place I was going to create some sort of a home base. And so, you know, I started seeing the canal and I started seeing all of these amazing things around us. Uh, but I also noticed things that I wanted to see changed. And my dad was the first one to say, listen, stop bitching about it. Get out there and do something about it. Otherwise, I don't want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. And it was the best advice I could have gotten because the first thing I did is I did the canal cleanup here four years ago. Um, and that was the first thing I did on my own without help. I mean, there was help after the fact, but I started it saying, I'm going to do this on my own. Um, it was supposed to be me and three friends. And then uh, someone caught wind of it. Press came and it turned into 100 people. And we had two corporate, uh, well, not corporate, but two business sponsors. We had a, a textile um company as well as a construction company donate resources and their staff come together. And just from that one time, I got dozens of emails and phone calls for months from other organizations and not-for-profits or just volunteer groups saying, hey, you know, we want to pull this off. You seem to be really good at bringing people together. Can you help us with this? And I just started saying yes. Mm -hmm. And then from that turned into one thing and then another. And then the BIA called me and they're like, hey, we need someone to chair our marketing and events uh, committee. Would you be interested? And I'm like, sure. I didn't, I never sat on a board in my life. And so I learned through the process and, and, I, and that's what I love doing. Every day I wake up and I try to, if I can't make my immediate circle life better, you know, I, I try to at least aim past that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, it shows because people come in here all the time. And Rob Repos, who was the last guest on the podcast, he told me, he's like, if it wasn't for the open mic, uh, like the singer songwriter night that I did here th three years ago, he wouldn't be actively writing and playing again. And, and at the time I, I was just saying, yeah, sure. Go come play on the stage. I didn't mean anything by it. Yeah. I just said, sure. But you help change somebody's life. And so simple things like that, just by saying yes, changes their life, which ultimately is going to change yours for the better. So uh, I think it's uh, it's it's a testament to to everybody who volunteers. Doesn't matter how small you think it is. It really does mm -hmm. change people's lives. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and any experience that I've had or knowledge or anything and very similar to yourself, it's because you volunteered and you started to know people and, mm -hmm. and those people shared what they knew. And then you know, for yourself too, you're great at connecting people. You connected people, you got people together, you got people doing stuff and motivated and active and actually, you know, being an active part of the community. So those people have probably, you've, you know, you benefit from those people because you learn from them too. You've learned and now you're on city council and the same, very similar thing for you too. You know, it's exactly, you know, I, I love affordable housing. I love mm -hmm. being part in, you know, for Habitat, it was great, but having my experience, it's great around having affordable housing, being able to see families' lives change. Mm -hmm. But the reward for that is just 
being my time on city council, my time working in affordable home uh, housing, my time working with the Hope Center and that, I learned a lot that I'm able now to hopefully to help more families move forward with housing. For sure. And I, I, I didn't want to forget this either because uh, one thing that a lot of people probably don't know or very few people will know is when I first started with the BIA, you know, you helped me a lot get, uh, you know, round the, the sharp edges on me. You know, I, I didn't know anything about presenting to council because once I got onto the BIA, we had to start doing that. And I had no idea procedurally what you have to do when you present to a council. And I remember you were the one of the first people who I talked to and you would text me and be like, hey, like, ask it like this. I don't know if that's a cheat sheet now, but you're off council, so it doesn't matter. That's okay. <laughs> and but it really helped. And now I try to do that for other people who I know are new and are need help. They have all the right intentions. They just they aren't educated enough in the process to understand. And it didn't take me long to figure it out once being on council. But you know, the same thing that you did for me to help me get going and help me grow, you know, now I'm able to do for other uh, community groups and people that need a little bit of help. They need a little guidance, right? Because these are people who are willing and who are working. It's not like you're not giving out handouts. These aren't people who are reluctantly, you know, at the table. They're working for it. They're pushing. They just need a little bit of guidance. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's awesome when you're able to pass off opportunities to people that have been given to yourself as well, right? I, I feel guilty if I were to be collecting on all of these awesome opportunities and just sit around and soak it all in. It's the greatest thing. If you can, if you can help somebody else out, you know, we, as a community, when you look at the community of Niagara, well, and we, we help each other out and, and, you know, any community that thrives anywhere, whether it's, you know, your, your church community your your business community, it's when you come together collectively and you achieve those things. So when you say that about coming out and really one of the things I'm thrilled about seeing on council is yourself and some of the younger counselors who are there. I just see that's just so great that young counselors are take young people in our community are taking an active role in our community and doing things. Why wouldn't you help? Absolutely. You know, help out with the experience that you have. You know, we're all, we're all in this together and I don't want to sound cliche ish, but I mean, if your business is successful and, and your community is successful and, and you know, our community together is successful. Absolutely. You know, I mean, running, you know, affordable housing and, and this soup kitchen and, and Habitat for Humanity, we need the business community. We need the successful young entrepreneurs coming forward to help us build more houses for people, families who who work in those businesses and families mm-hmm. who, you know, we need the community. We need the business community. We need the volunteers. We need people. So so to your, to your point, and, you know, thanks for saying that. You really... Too but kind. It is true. <laughs> it's too kind. But and I have to give a shout out to Dave McLeod because he texted me for like a year saying Spinoza 2018. <laughs> and right. uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not running. And then here I am. So shout job. out to him too. But, but anyway, back to you're you. You're doing great things. And, and, and I'm glad to see you help because it's what you're really ultimately there for is to, mm. to gather together as a community. And, uh, you know, those, those individuals one day will, will help. You know, will help uh, the community be a better place for people to live and a better place for young families to grow. So, you know, our time on earth is you know, isn't, you know, isn't long, yeah. but, uh, if we can make positive impacts on young people coming up and, and take the experience that we learned and pass it on, then it's a better place for our children to grow up. Amazing. We're, we're going to leave it right there. Cause we're already a few minutes over time, but it was an amazing conversation. Mark Carl, CEO of Habitat for Humanity, Niagara, past city councilor and executive director of the Hope Center. Amazing guy. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Uh, It was a pleasure. I loved it. Thank you. And you guys are listening to Above the Mug, a podcast for positive people. We will see you buggers next week. Hey, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Above the Mug. For more episodes, check us out at AboveTheMug.com. 
Make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, comment, tag your friends. This way you're not the only person listening to this thing. We come up with a brand new podcast every Sunday at noon, so we'll see you next week on Above the Mug.